Podstarter. Every podcast starts somewhere. All right. Hey, Priest. So uh, you had an interesting conversation today with uh, with Erin Trafford. Um, she had a podcast, doesn't have the podcast anymore, but it's a real interesting conversation around timing and first out of the gate. Tell us a little bit more about why you wanted to have a conversation with Erin. Well, Erin is really interesting because she comes from um, uh, a, a radio lineage. Her father has been involved in radio and she she was um, involved in radio from, from a young age. Um, so she's always been in the kind of creative or uh, journalistic kind of audio medium. But she was working in the realm of influencer marketing when it was still just really coming to fruition. And that term was, wasn't even really being used at that point her and her business partner could see that there was a really interesting conversation to be had, a really honest conversation to be had that everybody wanted to have, but nobody was having yet. So they just started a podcast um, covering uh, all of those kind of topics and issues and grievances that were going on in the industry at the time. And it became a real hit really fast. And I think that, you know, they only ran for like two years, but they were getting like 15,000 downloads a month. And this was a few years ago when podcast audiences were still, you know, they were growing steadily, but nowhere near the, the download levels now. And because they did that, they became almost like rock stars in the industry. And Erin's got stories about, you know, going to a conference and having a queue of people wanted to talk to her. And she didn't have a stall. She wasn't talking. She was just an attendee, but they, they knew her through her podcast. It's it's interesting because when you, when you think about sort of being first to market, Sometimes it can be a lonely place. You're the only one having this conversation and, and you think that you might be crazy. Erin is an early adopter. She's always embracing new technology, new thoughts, new processes, um, and she gets into it so fast. So there's there's two themes that I think came out of that conversation that you have with Erin. One is you know, getting to market fast, being first out there and, and being brave to have uh, potentially the only, only people having this conversation. She found success in that. The second part, that I thought was really interesting as well is that she had no experience in podcasting. She was taking journalistic courses, understood the space, but the platform as an accessible way to get to market, they figured it out as they went. I know she had done the podcast Inside the Story House. I don't think it's still up, but chances are she's on to her next thing already. Yeah, the the, the podcast, I think... Um, she didn't want to confuse uh, with her brand and the fact she she didn't want to have a podcast that wasn't uh, a living, breathing, exciting thing. So she chose to take it down. So you can't actually listen to the episodes of the show. But um, I guarantee you'll probably hear from from Erin pretty soon anyway, because she's 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 a doer. She'll be moving on to the next project for certain. Excellent. So we're looking forward to the conversation with you and Erin Trafford. Enjoy. We're looking forward to uh, listening. Podstarter. Every podcast starts somewhere. Uh, so, Erin, thanks so much for joining us today on Podstarter. I'm super pumped to be here. So, you had a very interesting experience with the podcast where it was part of a marketing strategy that kind of really worked for you at the time. Yeah, I actually, I would even say that it was the marketing strategy. <laughs> like, we, um, yeah, I, I, I've had a few podcasts over the years, and the last one that I did was kind of an accidental success, and it really actually, when I look back, it was the genesis of a business, um, which is funny because a lot of businesses now do it the other way around. So yeah, that was um, 2017, the end of 2017, we launched a podcast and it uh, became the launching pad for our business, which was just crazy. And the show was called uh, In the Story House. 
Um, you, lo- you, you launched it roughly 2017, it lasted about a year. Yeah. But that wasn't your first podcast, you said. So how did you first get into podcasting, <laughs> just, to, just to go back? So that goes back forever. Um, when I was in grad school at Western University, it was the first year that they had funding to try a special project. Um, and I was a radio student. So, you know, my grad school advisor came to me and she's like, have you heard of this thing called podcasting? And this was, I don't know what year it was. It would have been like the tail end of 2005. So quite a while ago. Um, and so what we did was we started this special project on campus where we sent reporters out and we covered the campus news and then we put it up on the website and I have no idea how it did, but it kind of got me at that very early point in my career, thinking about the difference between terrestrial radio listening and the power of podcasting from like a binging perspective and from a production perspective where, you know, you're not listening at the top of the hour for the latest breaking news. You might be listening like three or four or five days later, now months later, years later, right? So it kind of gave me perspective at that very early stage of the power and the potential in podcasting, which was crazy cool, like to be in grad school and just to be able to do it whenever I wanted for free using someone else's fancy studio. It was it was epic. It was so good. So when, when, once you kind of, that was obviously embedded in you and your background, you kind of have a, a family history or history in creative audio and the audio yeah. world anyway, don't you? You've, <laughs> you've like, got to kind of come clean on the advantage you had in life. Understatement, <laughs> yeah. So... Um, I like to say that my dad, uh, that I, he, he started his first radio station the year I was born. So kind of like his two babies came into the world at the same time. Um, my father is a career broadcaster and um, he was in university when I was born and uh, he applied to the CRTC um, in 1982 to launch what is now CIUT, which is the campus radio station. And that was his pet project. And he ran that radio station for a long time. And of course, that year I was born. So um, young parents, my dad was just right into radio. And I can still, I still have vivid memories of being in that space, Um, you know, literally cutting tape and, you know, reel to reel and records and all of those like old school technology. So I really was reared in the newsrooms of Canada, and my dad went on to be an extremely successful broadcaster, Um, and I got bit by the bug. And I think, you know, there was a point in time when I thought I was bit by the journalism bug, but really what, what got me was the audio medium and the... I used to, I remember sitting there watching, there was a female broadcaster who worked with my dad for a long time. Her name's Kathleen Rankin, and she... I think she's retired now. She lives in Brockville, Ontario. She left radio, raises horses. She's just a beautiful human being. And I remember being a really young girl and like sitting there and watching her deliver newscasts. And I would literally watch the way her mouth moved and try to do what she did, right? <laughs> and like I recognized that there was, there was an art to delivering the news that yeah. went beyond knowing what to say. And it was also just like how to say it. When to breathe. All those things. <laughs> when to breathe, how to breathe, the parts of your body that are breathing, the fact that you can manipulate your mouth to, you know, you can you can hear a smile if you want your readers to hear or your listeners to hear your smile. Um, 
so that was like an obsession that I developed at a really young age. And it was because of that environment that I was in and exposed to that I had this, you know, uh, all of these people that were mentors to me through my formative years. So, you know, fast forward and I got to grad school and of course I was, you know, the superstar in radio because you turn on a microphone and I just knew what to do. Um, and to go back to your original question, because I just went on a total tangent. That was good. I, I, I had a question about, <laughs> tell us a bit about yourself. So yeah. you, you've interwoven them quite nicely. So, <laughs> like I, I, do, I had a lifestyle blog for a long time and I think uh, I did try to start my own podcast uh, and it lasted about five episodes before I realized that I just didn't have the right studio set up and I didn't really know what I wanted to say. So in truth, I've had you know, one, two, I've already had three podcasts and I feel like I'm in a, stepping into a world where everybody's just kind of figuring out that this is the cool thing to do. <laughs> like I'm already like an OG in the podcast world, which is weird because I'm not that old. <laughs> so um, tell us a bit about, obviously podcasting became part of your, became, okay, your marketing strategy. Yeah. But what were you doing at the time um, and, what, and what do you do right now with it that yeah. meant that podcasting was right for you? So, so from my broadcasting career, I mean, I worked in newsrooms for 16 years, radio, television, and I will tell you, caveat, when I moved from radio to television, one of my biggest challenges was to stop talking with my face so much. Because in radio, right, like you can move your hands, you use your face to project, and I got in front of a television camera, and I'll never forget my news director, he was like, Aaron, you're talking with your face, stop. Right. I really had to kind of learn how to be on TV, which was uh, a hilarious thing. Um, just, so, clo just close their eyes when they're watching. It's fine. Just listen to what you're saying rather than watching it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that works for TV. Maybe that's why I didn't stay in TV so long. Um, but yeah, so I did 16 years in traditional mainstream broadcasting. And all the while, I had launched a lifestyle blog. So there was I always had a digital pull. Um, I knew how to cultivate an audience. I knew how to niche down. I knew how to make a connection because I think also part of what's being good at podcasting and radio is writing. So I, you know, and, and I was working in mainstream media and I was talking a lot about murder and politics and, you know, I wanted a piece of creative space for me that nobody else could touch. So I started this lifestyle blog and it just started growing and growing and growing. And as it did, I formed not only my own community of readers and followers, but a community of other bloggers. Um, and things kind of reached a fever pitch in that area of marketing. You know, the genesis of the term influencer marketing came to be probably, you know, I'm going to say four or five years ago. It wasn't a thing before that. A girlfriend of mine in this space uh, had been running a conference for bloggers um, in Toronto for, I think she was on her fifth year at this point. And so she really had her, her finger on the pulse of what was going on in terms of content creation and partnerships and branded content, because that was the kind of stuff she was bringing into the conference. Um, and I had heard that she wanted to start this new, you know, venture into this new area of kind of speaking truth to power in the influencer marketing world. Um, 
blowing the lid off of false followers, fake numbers, you know, measuring ROI and all this stuff. And I thought, wow, that's a cool conversation. I want to be close to that. And that's just the kind of person I am. When I see something cool, I'm like, how do I get closer to that? Right? That's kind of like what I did with you. I was like, wow, like you guys are so cool. I just want to talk to you. Right? Like that's literally, that's kind no, of. Nobody has ever accused me of being cool before. So. <laughs> well, it's not an accusation. <laughs> anyway, but like that's kind of how I operate. So I picked up the phone on, or I messaged her and then we got on a phone call and we ended up having this conversation last about 90 minutes and like my phone ran out of batteries. And, and so I called her back the next week and I said, you know what? We, we just need to record this and we just need to put it out in the world because when we're talking, person to person, we're being really authentic. We're not, um, there's, there's no filter. Mm. And I said, I bet if we do this, people will listen. And so we did. We, we knew that there was eventually going to be a business model there that we were going to be able to spin it into, you know, mastermind courses, into working as liaisons between brands and influencers, uh, to doing webinars and courses. And that's what we did. Um, and we did it very successfully for about two years. Um, but it started with us saying, we just need to record this and put it out there. And so we put it out in September and then the conference was held uh, three weeks later, and I remember I wasn't even speaking at the conference, but I had a lineup of people in the hallway uh, at this event in Toronto waiting to talk to me about the podcast. And it was crazy. <laughs> it was just crazy. And I think it was just this beautiful confluence of the fact that we had tapped, we, we had struck a nerve by talking about something that was very, very top of mind, but we were also doing it in an extremely candid and accessible way. And then that became Storyhouse Co. And, and someone who'd written blogs. Yeah. The Obviously, you edit a blog. You, you try and tell a story when you write it. There's a lot of structure to it. How did you, did you find that kind of free-form conversation, the kind of honesty and that uh, direct kind of uh, unfiltered approach? Was that kind of refreshing? Or did, was, it, was there any kind of learning process of uh, changing from, from that structure? I mean, you, you were in... Your background was in radio, so yeah. you knew how to structure a conversation in an interview anyway, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I did, for her sake, because she was like my co-host, um, I did put some structure to it, I think because she felt like she wanted a bit of a safety net, and that's completely fine. I, I can do off the cuff, no problem, and just kind of have the map in my head and follow it. Um, but not everybody's so trusting. <laughs> so, um, for the first few, I would really kind of map out, like, and I just did it by objective. Like by the end of the show, th this is what we want to have achieved. Um, and then here are the absolutes we got to say. We got to give our website. We got to give our social blah, 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 and all that stuff. Um, and then we had the added challenge of the fact that I was in, on the East Coast and she was in Ontario. So we were doing this over Zoom. We were uh, booking guests across time zones. Um, yeah, it was a pretty complex operation now that I think about it. It was rather ambitious for a mama on mat leave. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose when when you kind of started out, did you, you, it sounds like you already had a clear idea of who your audience were. You, you knew the sector you were, and the, the kind of people in that sector you were trying to speak to. Yeah, we did. But there was a few unexpected things that happened is that we thought that just kind of bloggers and influencers were going to listen. And what we discovered was that a lot of brands were listening, which we didn't expect. And part of me thinks that maybe once we found that out that we may have started filtering what we were saying a little bit, but I, um, just because we didn't want to tick anyone off or, or, you know, and we weren't using specific names, like we were saying things like 
company A instead of the actual name of the company. Um, but yeah, we did have a pretty clear, I mean, clear view of who it was going to be. And it sounds like they were kind of a, a group of people who were usually early adopters. So even though podcasting maybe hadn't necessarily exploded at that point, they were going to be the right people who were going to be listening because they were tend to be ahead of the curve, really, I suppose, in this industry. I guess, yeah. And I hadn't even really thought about it that way because like, my brain just doesn't work like that. Like, I just think, this is cool. I want to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess most of them would have been early adopters. Yeah. And I suppose the a lot of the time when we speak to podcasters, the, the, the real pattern is if you've got something to say that you're passionate about or you've got a unique angle or you're an expert in the field. That's what really draws an audience. What What about um, your show, do you think, really hooked onto people? I think it was the honesty level. So we didn't profess to be experts, although a lot of the time that's how we were perceived um, because I think it's a matter of, like, whoever's first to say it. It was that kind of a thing. But, I mean, I think what really hooked people was the fact that there was just no one else talking about what we were talking about at the time. And if I can be perfectly honest, I think that that may have been what led to us not wanting to continue was because there was just this level of um, transparency that we just could not commit to commit to longer than a year. It was like, let's start this conversation. Let's see what kind of waves we can create. Let's see if there's a business here. Um, and then the podcast kind of stopped being the primary focus because we didn't need to perpetuate that kind of conversation anymore. So I'm at the point now where, I mean, I, I want to get back into it. I want to start my fourth show. <laughs> um, and I now have a much better sense of that audience and how I want to reach them again in a more sustainable way. So I think it's like you fail forward. And I don't think it failed. I mean, we had crazy good numbers. We sold sponsorships. Like we were doing things that people didn't do on podcasts even two years ago. And I think it was also because I just was had the audacity to ask. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, you don't ask, you don't get. Right. So, so I mean, you know, but I, I do think it was the honesty. I, I, there's a lot about that show that I would have, I, if I went back, I would have changed, I think. It'd be, it'd be good to actually quantify how successful the show was because yeah. some people, it takes years to get, uh, to build an audience that is in the thousands, but you only ran for a year, but you had like 15,000 downloads a month, is that correct? Yeah, we were somewhere in there by the by the end. Which is incredible. Yeah, we had we had some like out of the gate success. I think it's because we timed it with the conference. So we had a lot of buzz. And I mean, I think our first episode had like 300 downloads, but then it just kept going up and up and up till we had an average of, you know, on the first day, we knew we could expect, you know, an, a really nice bump. And then we'd bring new people in and they'd inevitably go back to episode one. And start all over again. And like a lot of other podcasters, um, I hear them referencing things. Our most successful or most listened to episode was our second one, right? Which I think it, it reinforces what I what I believe to be was our success factor was the fact that we were just being honest. And by the time we, you know, we did the first one, we were a little kind of unsure of how the dynamic was going to go. The second one, we were like, okay, we got this. We got this. We're just going to go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we were like, can I swear? We were like, oh, crap. Oh, whatever. Um, crap is fine. Yeah, okay, crap. Okay, so I said, oh, crap, people are listening. And then I feel like that may have put a damper on things because the third one didn't do so well. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, from the point of view of you had a goal to 
have that conversation and draw an audience. Mm -hmm. uh, was that beyond your expectation? Was that, did you, you, you seem like the kind of person who has pretty ambitious goals for yourself anyway. So we, did you meet those expectations or exceed them or? I think so. And because I came, I come from, I live in the blogging and marketing and world of social media, I didn't ever have a measure of success that was like a metric. So much like I tell my clients now, the number of Instagram followers does not necessarily equate to the amount of conversions. We went into this and we were like, it wasn't about how many listeners we got. It was about the conversation that we started. So it was about the direct messages that we'd get on our Instagram account. It was about the people who would go on Instagram stories and evangelize on our behalf. It was like all of those kind of um you, you know, non-measurable things that happened as a result of us being first out of the gate to publicize these conversations. Um, that was success for me. And that's the thing with social media is that a lot of people forget that unless you're actually having a conversation with a real person sat on the other side of the, the, of the screen, like the other side of, of that platform, you're not really doing anything. If, if it's kind of you're getting good numbers, but there's no engagement beyond that superficial mm -hmm. tick or like mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. That you you kind of got to reach people unless unless you're actually reaching people and getting them to react and feel something. And and from a broadcast background, you know, for me, my, I did comedy and I was trying to make people laugh. And to get an emotional reaction is is kind of it's really addictive. <laughs> It is, it is. And, and you're the same, like when you're from your broadcast background, knowing that you're putting messaging out there that, that gets a response from people on a, on a different level, that you can elicit something from them yeah. is, is really powerful. And I think a lot of people in social media don't, they just put things out because that'll benefit the algorithm and looking for the actual emotional connection or the kind of content that will actually grab people is the real art, I suppose. I appreciate that you come from comedy and you make people laugh because I've been told time and time again that my ability is to make people cry. <laughs> that I'm able to like tap into those deep like hidden emotions and make people, you know, openly weep. So I wish I had the comedy bone. That would that would be epic, but I don't. I don't I, have it. I tried it. to make people laugh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I... I, I think it's one thing to chase an algorithm. Um, I think it's one thing to judge yourself against a machine, but it's a completely different game when you start to judge yourself based on how, A, you want to feel when you're creating that podcast, and B, how you want your, and let's be clear, your one listener to feel. Because when you're doing it, if you envision that you're speaking to the masses, if I went in there and was like, I'm gonna talk to 20,000 people on this recording, it just doesn't work. You do have to, in your mind, hold that one person. They can be a fake person, but you got to hold that one person so close to your heart when you're talking. Um, and when you master that, you have you have nailed it. And I, I feel like that's why podcast has grown so much is because because it is that kind of authentic connection. You hear the voice. There's a, a much more emo emotional engagement than you might get with certain kinds of posts, or at least a different, I think there's a place for everything, but mm -hmm. is a different kind of um, authenticity in that sense. Um, yeah. I feel like I got a better chance of being more influential on podcasting because I feel like 
I can't put, I don't have a six pack to post on Instagram. So I have to post my mental six pack through audio instead. <laughs> mental six pack. I love it. Somebody's going to market that as like a yeah, craft yeah. brewery company or whatever. Like get that into a, onto a beer can. Sorry, it, I'm just being stupid. No, but like, I, I agree because I was laughing to myself on the drive-in to meet you because um, I was listening to the radio and there was a stop set and there was a radio ad for radio ads and it was like radio. It works. It totally does. I will go to my grave saying that radio is one of, audio is still one of the most intimate, effective ways to tell your story. And it's one of the most creative things, uh, endeavors that you can, I mean, you can take it anywhere. You can literally take it anywhere. You can do interviews. You can, I mean, you can transport somebody with like a sound that is less than a second long. Like it takes your eyeball longer to register something on a screen when they're watch when you're watching TV than it does sound. Like it's just, it's always been a love, and the trajectory of podcasting as an industry to me is nothing short of like, I'm just so pumped about where it's going. Like, that's lit- that's, that's full stop. I'm just pumped. I'm just pumped. End of the story. Yeah. End of everything. So I kind of feel as well like you look at NPR and what they've done with podcasting and you hear stories like the little 10-minute ten, ten news roundup, the 10-minute daily news roundup mm-hmm. that would have just been broadcast on radio. As a podcast, their audience is, is kind of people under the age of 25 who just download this daily 10-minute news report, mm-hmm. which is, is bizarre because... You know, there's people who would say that people under 25 don't listen to radio anymore, and and they do. They just they just it's just being repackaged in a different way, and yeah. and the the success they've had, they don't change the kind of shows they used to make or the the ethos they had or even the teams of people making the content they did for their radio shows. They're just being downloaded or listened to completely differently. Yeah, and it's exploded. It's like the biggest network. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like it brings you back. Like when you actually start really digging into it, it's it comes back to how genius some of these like communication theorists of our time were. Like, you know, I always just he always come back to Marshall McLuhan. I'm like, I don't know when they're gonna make that man a saint, but like make him a saint, right? The medium is the message, which when you just keep following the, you know the loop down and down and down, it still is very true. But there is some, uh, there are some people who believe, and that was a quote in Playboy magazine, right? Like back in the 60s, um, that he actually said the medium is the massage. Okay. Which is like, huh. So that's (laughs) when you think of it in terms of television, which is what he was, you know, the 24-hour news and all the stuff, is that like that the medium uh, becomes a bit of, you know, what numbs us to the message. Yeah. And I think that that's just a really interesting conversation. I, I brought that up just because that was a little factoid that made me sound <laughs> smart. But I think like the medium is the message is, is like podcasting as a medium can do so much more because of it exists infinitely at any given time. There are only so many radio frequencies that can be running so many times telling so many things in the city, but how many podcasts can you have? How many people can you reach? How many downloads can there be? It's literally infinite. Exactly. Like it's <laughs> like there's some really cool companies coming out. I mean, you guys are one of them, but there's just some wicked branded content being done too. And I'm like, when are we going to have we're going to start having like the Emmy Awards for podcasts soon, I bet. Yeah, well, there's like there are some small regional ones. Like um, there's a podcast awards in London that, that happens. 
that it's oh, kind I didn't of celebrating. Yeah, yeah. So you, I think you are fine at this starting, but there's not like there's. You're right. You need like an Emmy or like an Academy Award for, yeah. for podcasting. Yeah. Uh, a glo- it should be a global award because it doesn't seem particularly limited by. Bound by, no. by borders at all. So. That's what I mean. It's infinite. You could yeah. record a podcast on the moon and like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, do, how do you get Wi-Fi on the moon? I don't know. But like, <laughs> I just, it's it's really exciting to me to have watched all of this happen. And I also think it's good for radio because I, I do think it's making people pay more attention to the skill that is needed to do radio well. Yeah. I think for a long time it kind of got sidelined as like, oh, you just do radio. You're not on TV. You just do radio. Oh, you're not flashy and you just do radio. But like, man, you sit down and try to do a podcast and you realize, whoa, okay. Like, it's really hard to be an engaging speaker and be engaged with your content when you're sitting in an empty room. Exactly. And I, I calculated the other day. I don't know what I was doing, but like how many broadcasts I've done, live broadcasts, in an empty room by myself. And it was like tens of thousands. I've spent tens of thousands of minutes speaking aloud in an empty room. (laughs) (laughs) But trying to be concise, Mm -hmm. uh, effective in Mm -hmm. in the kind of information you convey. Mm -hmm. And and just also, yeah, engage it. And excited about it. So there's there's this whole thing too, like my advice when people start podcasting or blogging for that matter, uh, tell the truth and never be boring. Yeah. The first one's easy. The second one is hard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and the, kind of the the problem a lot of podcasters hit as well is they, they have like so much passion for a subject and mm-hmm. they get started and they have really ambitious goals for the podcast. And then they may be trying to release every week or every two weeks and then mm-hmm. real life gets in the way. And they realize the, the sheer post-production schedule or the pre-production schedule, if they're researching their conversations, starts to make things fall apart slightly and you get that kind of pod fade is the term and did you experience that or did I imagine I imagine you you were blessed with a background in radio so you kind of had an idea of a workflow of of, of how you would do that but did you did was there anything that you felt you stumbled with or yeah I think that pod fade I've never heard that before but I think that's what happened because I was so proficient at it I took on all of it yeah so you know and then running at the time, and then it became running two businesses. So I had my own business, and then Storyhouse became the accidental business, which needed servicing, um, and then the podcast in and of itself. So that was a very real challenge. It, yeah, it was something that I I was able to pound out pretty quickly because I was pretty fast at editing, and I, like I could you know get that stuff all all done and well. I would have liked to have had way more time to make it sound much more glossy and all that, but I just didn't. So yeah. I do think pod fade, pod fade. Yes, it's, okay. I think the average podcast fails about episode seven. Really? Apparently, and it, the 700,000 podcasts on uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts as yeah. it is now, yeah. um, only 20% are actually still releasing regular shows or have released a huh. show recently. So. It seems to be one of those because it's, it's, it's a hobby for a lot of people, right. a lot of content out there. So that level of commitment and energy is, is tough. Wow. I, so yeah, and then I'm sure of that twenty percent, like nineteen point nine 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 percent of them are crappy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what happens. I, <laughs> I was trying to listen to, um, and this is really obscure. It was a, a podcast about um, I like the Silent Era kind of movie, mm-hmm. kind of genre 
and I was trying to listen to a, a group of really well-informed people talk about um, Soviet cinema, of, of the earlier Soviet <laughs> cinema. And uh, it, they were all drunk, mm-hmm. and they just had one iPhone in the middle of a, of a room, and they were talking over each other. And what they were talking about was really interesting, but I just couldn't, couldn't. listen. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It is that kind of thing where you have some real talent and some really interesting people with niche topics that some weirdos are interested in, like me. And yeah. <laughs> you kind of gone, you know, it's a shame that they don't have the quality necessarily. So how, how did you, with your radio background, how did you design a studio and a setup that kind of worked for you? Oh my God, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I just, I just turned on a microphone and did it. And I think, you know, that was all I had the capability or wherewithal to do. Um, so that probably would have been something I would have redone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause I did know better. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did nothing. I did very little. With the kind of content you were producing in the podcast. Now your background was in blogging, social media, influencer marketing. How did you kind of repurpose that content for other mediums? And was it a kind of an effective process for you? We were doing a lot of like pull quotes on Instagram um, and Insta stories. I don't think the headliner app existed back then. If it had, I didn't, if it did, I didn't know about it. I would have liked to have used that because that's really cool um, for repurposing like the clips and getting the little social graphic and all of that. But no, we weren't really doing a lot of that. The episodes were so conversational that, I mean, I could have dumped them down into Rev and then turn them into blog posts. Um, but from a blogging perspective, there wasn't a lot. I, I didn't see a lot of SEO value there. Like it was just, it was self-propelling. Like it was its own thing. Yeah. It was really anomalous. <laughs> but then, but that's, you find like big podcasts that have tiny followings on social media because people don't look for them through social media. They look right. for them through their apps. So yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's not unusual, I guess, but for you, when, in someone with that background, it must have felt a bit weird. <laughs> it did. It did. Yeah. And like when we started getting listeners from outside of North America, that was even weirder. Right. <laughs> like, like, okay. Like there's people in the UK and people in Australia and, you know, New Zealand and all this stuff, like listening to these two Canadian chicks talk about influencer marketing. And it was like, whoa, okay. I just look at podcasting as just, um, there's so much there and there are so many stories to be told and there's so many potential partnerships and just amazing creative stories that would not otherwise get told yeah like like those tiny those like you know the the guy who built the tiny little town or you know I think of we talked about this before like there are so many stories in the indigenous communities in in Nova Scotia alone let alone across Canada yeah that you know imagine just going deep on one story it can be, you can, you know, and you can take forever. You can go 90 minutes. Go as long as you need. You don't have to stop. <laughs> <laughs> what do you feel was your biggest achievement from, and, that, you know, I, I, don't, I assume you're not a metrics-driven person. You seem mm-hmm. like a much more qualitative mm-hmm. uh, results-driven person. So what, for you personally, was the, the, your biggest achievement on, on your show? Ooh, that's a really hard question. Um, I made a couple people cry. <laughs> <laughs> about, like, about influencer marketing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there there is a lot of emotion there. There's okay. a lot of emotion there. Um, a couple guests I, we, we had uh, really emotional, great connections with. Um, I think 
to be honestly, it's it was the confidence I gained as as stepping out as a thought leader in this industry. Um, it was my first foray into saying, literally saying, I have done this for long enough that I can write the book, tell the story, and teach you how. And you know, when I look back at that month when we decided to just start having that conversation, I didn't recognize that that's what was happening. But if I hadn't done that and we hadn't gone through Storyhouse and run all of the programming that we did, I would never be standing where I am right now, which is like, you know, I, I run my own business. I have my own consulting company now. Um, my own blog is taking off. I'm getting approached by brands because of that work that I did. So I think it's like, I took that chance on having that authentic conversation and doing it in a, in a way that I knew was going to resonate. And that was using the podcast because it was, it, I knew how intimate it could be. And so for me, that's the achievement. It was like the ripple effect achievement. And I know I, we touched a lot of lives along the way. We helped a lot of bloggers negotiate their true value. Um, you know, I, I, but I think it was more of like this compound effect of that'll always be part of what I did. What would you say then to somebody starting out right now in this kind of, uh, in this environment? What would you say if you had to give them like one piece, of, you can give them like five pieces of advice, as long as it's five pieces of gold. Or if you've got one, that's fine. <laughs> no turds in there. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think I already said like tell the truth and don't be boring. So that's just like uh, for everything you do. If you're just starting out, Okay, so I would say really check your assumptions because I think sometimes, and you touched on this when you said that a lot of people get out there and they're really passionate about something and then just start talking about it, you may already be above your listener's head. So just be really careful about making those kinds of assumptions about who's going to listen. And I think at every state, stage of the game when you're scripting something or you're figuring out what questions to ask, um, just don't make those assumptions. And then the other thing I would say is don't be afraid of sounding like a human. Like the number of times that I hear from people who say, oh my gosh, I say, um, oh my gosh, I breathe too much. Oh my gosh, like, you know, this is a freaked out. And it's like, listen, you're a human being, you breathe. Let's get over that, okay? And you're gonna get better. So nobody comes out of the gate, nobody comes out of the womb just perfect at anything. So you're never going to know unless you start. And once you start, just be as consistent as you can. And then the third thing I would say is ask for feedback. Mm. There's some stupid stat out there that like some 80% of radio broadcasters on the air today haven't been air checked in like three years. Get an air check pay someone to air check you because that kind of feedback is very valuable and then just be open to it don't look at it as criticism look at it as as feedback um, it can you can only go up you're not gonna get worse <laughs> right exactly. so like from a pure performance standpoint and being confident I think the podcasting is a perfect medium because it's not live you're not breaking news. You're not risking violating uh, publication bans. And like you don't have that same kind of pressure of a live broadcast, which believe you me, I know. Mm. 
Um, I've never done live. It terrifies me. Yeah, and, and I hear that all the time, right? Like, I hear from people all the time. They're like, oh, my God, how do you do live? And I'm like, it's so much easier for me to do live. For some reason, I just... I, I go into another zone and I just do it. Well, thanks so much for your time and answering all these questions and telling us about your your adventure in podcasting. Yeah, this is awesome. I'm super pumped to be part of whatever you guys are doing because I think it's just cool and I want to go to there, as Liz Lemon says. <laughs> thanks so much. All right, thanks. Visit podstarter.io to find out how we can help you build the podcast you and your audience needs. To listen to more episodes, search Podstarter wherever you find your podcasts or visit our website. You can also find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Podstarter is produced in Nova Scotia, Canada by podstarter.io.